I'm always excited when my next guest joins us. He is the president of Market University, Mike Lovell. Welcome. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. And you brought a guest, full disclosure. I met him about a few months ago at a Mount Vernon event here in Milwaukee. Patrick Mullins, associate professor of history, public history director at Marquette University. I've been looking forward to this interview, my friend. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. All right. So tell me about and tell our audience about the kind of research you do, because I'm fascinated by this as a, as a history guy and the expertise you bring to this subject. Sure. Um, I focus on 18th century American and British history. Um, my specialty is the causes of the American Revolution. This has been my obsession since I was a, an undergraduate. Uh, my first book was on a Boston clergyman who helped to spread the idea that the right of revolution could be justified. And I'm working on a new book about the cultural origins of the revolution to explain how uh, Americans uh, came to think that it was uh, morally acceptable religiously acceptable to disobey British rule. So were you always a kid that like knew that history was going to be your thing? Yeah, I, I, because I love the stories, uh, and I would, this sounds kind of pitiful, but I would act out things with my action figures. <laughs> I'm okay with confessing that. And now I get to, to, to play out these stories in front of a classroom or in a book or an article, so it's great fun. When I had a chance to ask you a question at the Mount Vernon event, I, I was looking for, from you and the other guests, Comparisons between 18th century and 21st century, mm -hmm. especially when you talk about politics, leadership. Of course, I'm a huge fan of George Washington, having been to Mount Vernon a bunch of times, and less a fan, let's say, of the of the current version of presidents. Now, maybe that's unfair, maybe it's not, but are there comparisons or contrasts that you could highlight for us that are illustrative of what we're what I'm talking about? Um, I, I often chafe at the contrast between the leadership of the founding era and our, our current leadership. Um, but maybe it's a little unfair because the founding generation was a really unique generation. Um, but uh, I think the thing that, that distinguishes a politician from a, from a statesman is adherence to principle. This is what uh, I think distinguished the founders. They had a very clear idea of what a free society should be like, and they were willing to compromise on on the application, so the selection of means, but not on the ends. They, they kind of uh, kept their eye on what the purpose of government was. And, and politicians are inclined to go with what they see as the expedience of the moment in response to polls. I guess I can't blame them for it, but uh, it would be uh, great if we had more people in Congress or in the White House who had a clarity on what government is for and what it should and shouldn't do. That's a good ask. We'll see if we can get that delivered at some point. At some point, maybe. President Lovell, you are an engineer, of course, an educator, a smart guy, and a tremendous leader. But you talk about education and research at Marquette. So when you look at that, the, the challenge has been new discoveries, perceptions, uh, some of the context based on current events. What are you saying and educating your students about when it comes to this rapid change that's happening in this country? Lightning speed changes, microsecond differences. How do you wrangle all of that? Yeah, and uh, just for full disclosure, Steve, I uh, I was a history minor in college. As so, was I. Yeah, and wow. so and so American history, history, Roman history. I, I I I took a lot of history in college, and because I I, I liked it so much, and and. I think about and again the rapid pace of change and what's happening with technology. You know, we we have we can just talk. We've talked about AI in the past. You know, how is that changing society? In the same respect, we still need to have that grounding in the liberal arts, the humanities, things like history, like philosophy, which 
really, you know, are fairly static. You know, you're not going to change what happened 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago in history. You know, those stories are, are already set and being told and maybe being, you know, slightly altered. Uh, but there should be a balance that we should be able to introduce our students on how to learn going on in the future, but also be based on what's happened in the past and I, what we can learn from the past. Because I, I always say, um, if you don't remember your past, you're condemned to repeat it. So it's important to know what our past was. I love that connection. And for people who don't know, research is a big part of what Marquette does. I, I, don't, I think people they look at the basketball programs, obviously, and the great education you get at Marquette, but the leadership, the research, that's a big part of your story. Yeah, and you know we do research in history as well. You know, Patrick is, is an expert and does his own research. And again... The, the findings, you know, in the engineering, the findings in the sciences are really important, but they're also important to do the same research and in, in scholarship that's happening in the liberal arts and the humanities. President Mike Lovell from Marquette, also a special guest, Patrick Mullins, Associate Professor of History, Public History Director at Marquette University. All right, so looking at the world we live in now versus the 18th century, are the leaders different because we're different? Is the the speed of technology influencing that. What is the biggest factor in this, at least my perception, that they're doing it differently than the founding fathers did? Um, I, as a cultural historian, I, I often will look at kind of the predominant ideas in a society at a given time. Um, the founders were uh, were working on the problems of government during the Enlightenment, and they were very much informed by uh, sort of ideas that. Uh, principles that they thought were applicable to all human beings in all times and places, regardless of their religion or their, their sex, their race, their ethnicity, um, such as universal human rights or the equality or the dignity of all persons. And they really grounded government in that vision. Um, and um, our leaders today uh, tend to, to not have a really coherent vision. Uh, partly, I, I can't blame them entirely. Partly it's the fault of intellectuals from the left and the right are attacking the very idea of the, like the liberal tradition. Um, and a lot of politicians on the left and the right are, are cashing in on kind of splintering us. Um, but then there's, there is social media. And uh, there's such an emphasis not on what unites us as human beings, but, but on our identity as members of this group or that group. And then in our social media bubbles, we, we talk to people who, who are like us and, and we forget how to talk to people who are different from us. And we, we have a harder time finding uh, a common ground based on shared values. And I think this is contributing to a lot of divisiveness in, in our society. Um, and I'm hoping we can have political leadership that can help provide a, a, a vision of shared humanity. But I think liberal arts education has a really important role to play here and giving us a common ground that will bring us together. I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in Washington, D.C. Uh, for schooling. My, my graduate school was there. Um, and I also spent time at Mount Vernon, and I'm a huge fan of the first president of the United States, George Washington. Um, from a historical perspective, his skill sets, his toolkit for leading this country, and he was a reluctant leader. He didn't really want that responsibility, but he, he did it brilliantly, both in his military service and his public service. What was unique about George Washington that, that made him that kind of a leader? Uh, I think partly it was that he was a practical man with a lot of practical experience as a uh, farmer and a soldier and a local politician. And uh, he kind of uh, learned from the grassroots up and was able to apply uh, a very, like he, he wasn't trained in some sort of managerial class, the purpose of exercising power. He His focus was on, uh, you know, 
as he would put it, living under your own vine and fig tree. You know, he, he thought of himself primarily as a farmer, uh, and politics was always secondary. And this helps explain, as you mentioned, Steve, that uh, he, he's not a person who craved power. Uh, and, and when he thought his duty required him to exercise it, he did it as long as it was necessary, and then he was very eager to walk away from power and go back home. And he did this over and over again as a general and then as president and set an example of rejecting uh, kind of creating dynasties as, as exists in all these other uh, most other countries so that was uh, he was a man who was had the practical skills to exercise power but he didn't want to hold on to it and that's exactly what you want in a leader president Lovell from uh, I don't want to get too political but from from an educational perspective presidents that you have found over your time as a leader that inspire you maybe something you've taken away from a president or two well I you know, I, we've, we just talked about the father, founding fathers, George Washington. I'm very much a traditionalist. I have so much respect f for those who started our country uh, almost 250 years ago in developing a framework for democracy that would last this long and allowing it to evolve and change with the times through the amendments and other ways. We, our government is, is constantly changing, right? And, and the founding fathers had the foresight to know, you know, 250 years ago that what they saw that day wasn't going to be where the, you know, the, the country was going to be. And so, you know, I so much respect. I also, I'll be honest with you, I, I have so much respect for Abraham Lincoln. You know, he took a country that very well could have been fractured and divided into and held it together during a very difficult. And it was, it was, it was a, just so challenging uh, what he endured, but his steadfastness and his integrity to help us, you know, get through that time is something that, you know, I always think about, you know, skills and, ways and characteristics that I want people to look at me with. I think Abraham Lincoln someone we should all try to emulate. Our guests, as always, President of Market University, Mike Lovell, and our special guest this month, Associate Professor of History, Patrick Mullins, who's also the director at public history director at Marquette University. After the break, I want to talk about some of the modern parts of this conversation, right? Social media, the fact that we're hosting the RNC in Milwaukee right down the street from Marquette University and how that shapes some of the, the future when it comes to politics and Marquette's role in that and also yours as an educational leader. More of WTMJ now after this. All right, rejoining our conversation with the president of Marquette University, Mike Lovell, and a special guest, associate professor of history and public history director at Marquette, Patrick Mullins. All right, so we've had an interesting few years here in our country. We've had the uh, the hundred year pandemic. We had January sixth impeachments, all of the the swirl and the excitement. Hopefully, of what's going to happen next year in presidential politics. How do you put that in context with what happened, you know, in the eighteenth century? And is is there commonality? Is it absurd? My word, uh, what we're seeing now when it comes to politics, or just just a different version of the same thing. To a great degree, it's it's a different version of the same thing. Uh, there was plenty of wacky stuff going on in there the early Republic, yeah. And, and it, what would say Jefferson's followers called John Adams, and what John Adams' followers called Jefferson, which is it, it was really awful stuff. So this isn't new. Um, but uh, I, but in terms of like the the threats to free society, uh, these are kind of part of the human condition and they are recurring. Um, the revolutionary generation warned against uh, both tyranny from the top down, 
from Kings and also Tyranny from the Bottom Up, from the mob. Um, and we saw an example, we see an example of the first with the rise of autocracy in China and Russia under Putin and Xi now. Um, and we have examples of mob violence. Uh, there were examples of this in 2020. We see this with January 6th. Um, one thing that I teach my students is uh, to how to to try to use history to discern the difference between speech and sedition, between protest and riot, between uh, just war and um, well, the kind of the the kind of depredations we saw on October seventh recently, um, and and cultivating the understanding of history and and a liberal arts education more broadly can enable you to um, to to make these moral distinctions and draw on the wisdom of the past. I think I asked you this question at the uh, the Mount Vernon events. Is there a modern equivalence, and this is a big ask, a big reach, to George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, as President Lovell noted? Yeah, I, I think my answer to you then was an emphatic no. Yes, I remember uh, the answer. <laughs> it was a loud no, I think. There was a time in which uh, every American schoolhouse had two portraits on the wall. One was Washington, one was Lincoln. And there was at least some consensus that the kind of leadership they represented is something that's desirable across time. Uh, of course, I'm originally from South Carolina, so not everyone agreed with the Lincoln part. I do, but uh, uh, so even when it seemed like we were united, we weren't always completely united. Um, but I, I think instead of expecting more Washingtons and more Lincolns, uh, we should at least require of our elected officials that they uh, that they study Washington and Lincoln and aspire, just just attempt to follow their example in terms of their both principle and policy. Enthusiastically endorse that idea. <laughs> For our President Lovell, um, the RNC is coming to town next July. I will be there front and center. And uh, it, it gives you opportunities and maybe even challenges for Marquette because you're right down the street. Have you? I'm sure you've started to look at that. What, what unique challenges or opportunities are there for Marquette? I, I mean, it, it's a great. First of all, it's a great opportunity for Milwaukee to showcase itself and you know all of the assets we have, and that includes Marquette University. It allows us to showcase you know our campus, and uh, we are actually our, our residence halls are full of visitors that will be staying on our campus. Uh, we're right right outside of the control zone, and so and so uh, that's good. Being right outside the control zone also create some challenges. It means we may see protests and individuals coming across our campus that, that um, we need to uh, ensure the safety of our campus. But we're very, very excited. You know, we've had, uh, you know, when, when DNC was coming, we had um, different news outlets want to actually maybe do shows and things, you know, on our campus and some of our facilities. And, again, it's a great way to showcase Marquette. But I think most importantly, it's a great opportunity for our faculty and staff to be part of history. You know, so whether it be from journalism to political science uh, to, to other majors, having them be part of the convention in different ways, and uh, whether it be you know volunteering, that may maybe working, maybe be just being part of things happening on our campus, uh, it's, it's very exciting for us. And again, you know, I think about the opportunity, particularly for our students. You know, this is something that they'll remember the rest of their lives if they're part of, right? And for Dr. Mullins, there has to be an educational piece of this, because this is an unusual event. We we typically don't host events like this. I mean, we had sort of a, a Democratic National Convention, but which was taken over by the pandemic, right. and really nothing like it would have been. But this should happen next July in Milwaukee. Is there an educational component to that? Can you can you use that as a teaching tool or just in the sense of history, showing them how your students, how unique, rare, and amazing this this story is uh, you certainly can um, you can also think of the other way around and that Marquette can 
can provide, uh, you might say, uh, educational services to the, the people who are, who are coming to the convention. Um, in addition to teaching 18th century American and British history, I also teach public history, which is the study and interpretation of history with the general public as opposed to academics. So my students work on projects like making historical films. We work with museums. Uh, we're working in the, the spring with the Pabst Mansion. Um, so there could be Marquette could do things like uh, offer historic tours to delegates and people visiting, coming from the convention to find out things that are very special about Milwaukee and about Wisconsin, not just Wisconsin as the the, the founding state for the Republican Party in the 1850s as an anti-slavery party, um, but also the I do a lot uh, with my students in like the 1890s, early 20th century, when Milwaukee was the manufacturing capital of the world, uh, pretty much, and um, I often use uh, architecture and neighborhoods to to connect students with history. So you know we could take delegates on tours of those parts of Milwaukee that were centers of innovation and invention and uh, and enterprise um, as an indication of what Milwaukee used to be and and what I I think I hope that we're we're becoming again. I love it bringing history alive. Um, let me ask you this. I might have asked you this at the Mount Vernon event, but I'm I'm going to ask it anyway if I didn't. Um, are you optimistic or pessimistic? about leadership in our country or potential leaders in our country currently? Because I have a favorite saying on the show, leadership is hard. Great leaders are rare. Are you optimistic or pessimistic? Um, I am pessimistic about leadership. I think that to a great degree we get the leaders that we deserve. Uh, we've had leaders that, in my opinion, were really great, and then we watched them become really awful um, under certain pressures. And I think that we need, as a public, we need to demand the best of leadership. And when we do that, the best women and men will, will tend to rise to the fore. Um, so the the problem, I think, is less with the, the lack of, of good people at the top than uh, we need to, as members of the general public, we need to listen to the better angels of our nature and, and demand that. We have leaders who are more like Lincolns and Washingtons, and then maybe if we do that, we'll get them. So, um, and that's where education comes in. Insofar as we can, uh, we can educate public opinion. Uh, maybe uh, the the public will demand the things that that you want in in our leadership. President Level, same question. You know, it's um, it's an interesting question, and what I've seen, and I've gotten to know um, some politicians fairly well. Uh, some people that I really respected, and we're doing it for the right reason. And there's still some that that, uh, that are out there. But what I saw happen to many of them is they got attacked on the other side in such a violent way that they lost interest in serving in the way that they wanted to serve. And they just you know left politics and went and did something else. And my fear is with social media and all these, um, you know, all these outlets that really are polarized you know it's very hard to be a politician today and if you even if you're living by your your ideals you know it's just to expose yourself and your family you know to the things that they're exposed to it's just i i just worry that we're not going to get the people that we want in these roles i guess i would wrap that by saying that we always used to say best and brightest right and if the pool of best and brightest gets smaller and smaller it makes the chance of getting a great leader that much more difficult all right I always like to end on a fun one it's yeah. the holiday season christmas is around the corner president level you first favorite personal or family christmas tradition oh yeah well, i mean 
uh, we love Christmas Eve, and you know what we do. Like many families, we'll, we'll go to mass or, or, or church, and we'll come back. And my wife is Italian, and she will make a, just an absolute feast for us and homemade pizza, arancinis. She always makes her own homemade pasta, and it's I just come to your house. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a, you know, a great tradition, and we tend to open some presents on on Christmas Eve as well. Love it. Um, uh, my wife is Jewish. And I am from a kind of a Southern Protestant heritage, um, so we uh, we combine uh, Christmas and Hanukkah. Uh, we we light the menorah, we light the Christmas tree, uh, we we combine food and, and songs from both traditions. Um, and uh, I can say, as a Southerner, that I reached the conclusion that that latkes are basically just hash browns. So I'm cool. <laughs> <Yeah. with it. laughs> I love it. Hanukkah is starting this week, so celebrating this. I think it's Thursday of this week. Um, Associate Professor of History Patrick Mullins, also Public History Director at Marquette University. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I'm sure we'll talk again down the line. Thanks for having me, Steve. And President Lovell, always great to see you. I wish you both a tremendous holiday season, and we'll we'll talk again in in a month or so. Thanks, Steve. Thanks a lot. You're listening to WTMJ Now.